All right, guys, we're in lesson 31 today. Uh, we're going to start into Zechariah. We're going to look at chapters 1 and 3. Now, I said we might be here three weeks, and it might actually be four weeks, because as I got into uh, looking in particular at uh, writing these lessons, I realized that you know there's 11 chapters there. I don't know that I can squeeze them into three weeks. Maybe I can, but we're going to try and do it by at least four. And we're going to look today at uh, Zechariah, the beginning of his visions. Now, here is uh, the interesting thing. So let me, let me start off by this. Do you guys have dreams at night? Do you guys dream? Yeah, if you're normal, you have dreams, right? How many dreams a night do you have that you know of, that you would remember? Is it 1, 2, 15, 20? Maybe one that you remember. Have you ever had like three in a night that you remember? Rob says yes. Okay, that's, that's interesting, Rob. Okay, we'll talk later, okay? Three different dreams in a night, okay? Now, typically, you, I mean, I guess med the medical field would say to us that we all dream continually without even realizing it and not even remembering it. But what would you say about a guy who has eight distinct dreams in one night that are very real to him and he writes them down because they're from God. That's kind of unusual, isn't it? What's, what, I heard somebody say something. What, well, awesome. Yeah, well, they are awesome visions, yes. And, and, and that's what we're going to see here is Zechariah has these visions on one night, eight different visions. Now, we're going to go look at four of them today. Okay, we're going to look at four of the visions today, but they're on one night. And there's really no other book in the Old Testament that is like this. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? There's no other book that is like his book. And when we look at these visions, some of you are going to immediately realize, I think I know what it's about. I think I understand. Now, we understand now because we're on this side of the cross, right? And we have an understanding of the other scriptures and what it says about the future. But put yourself in the situation of the Jews in Zechariah and Haggai's time. They don't have the understanding that you and I have. And so when they hear these visions that Zechariah is sharing, what do you think is going through their mind? I can't hear. Fear. fear. not Yeah, fear, maybe fear. How about, are you okay, Zachariah? What did you eat the night before? You know, you know what I'm saying? Are, are, are you all right? I mean, these are unusual visions, and we're going to see that here today, and we're going to see what God is trying to communicate. Some of them are very wonderful visions. The last one we're going to look at today, I think, is a great vision so let's take a look at this. So first of all, let's start off with uh, the call to return. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 of Zechariah. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, The Lord has, was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus to declares the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. All right, now let's stop there. We're going to take a look. This is the beginning of the book. He's trying to call the nation to repentance, okay? So the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, stating that the Lord was angry with Israel's fathers. Was that legitimate? Remember all the things that we've studied up to this point? Now, at this point in history, they have just returned from where? Babylon, after 70 years in exile, which they went there because of what? God's punishment for their what? Sins. But even before that, we know that their entire history, from the moment that they left Egypt up until the point of the exile, they didn't do right. You know what I'm saying? They were worshiping other gods. I think it's interesting when you read about the wilderness journeys that some of them were actually worshiping the goat gods. There's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night, and you're worshiping the goat gods? I mean, think about that. Wow. They were messed up. And so God, and so here it is, the Lord saying to Zechariah, I was angry with your fathers, Okay. So the Lord calls Israel to return to him, and he will return to them. So come back to me, and I'll come back to you. Now let's stop for a moment. Is that not an awesome thing for God to say? Now why why is his call to return and the promise there something good for you and I? What's the application for you and I? Okay, forgiveness, but more so, think about it for a minute. So when you, do you, you and I sin, right? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here, right? We sin, and when we sin, we hurt the relationship with who? The Lord, right? Okay. Now, when we look at our sin we, and we realize that we've hurt our relationship with the Lord, we may go to him in confession but somehow we think that he has changed towards us, right? Sometimes we think that, oh, now I've messed up. My relationship, God's not going to answer my prayers. God's not going to do this for me. We think that somehow we've changed. Our relationship with him has changed. But notice what the Lord is saying. Here's Israel. You can't think of anybody else who's, I mean, you think of the stuff that Israel was doing. They were offering their children to false gods. And he says to them, Return to me, and I'll return to you. Isn't that awesome? Return to me, and I'll return to you. So, yes, it is the issue of forgiveness, but not just the issue of forgiveness. It's the reestablishment of the relationship that you have with him. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the reestablishment of the relationship. I'll give you an example from the Old Testament. So remember... Remember Absalom, the son of David, okay? He, uh, he killed David's oldest son because David's oldest son raped David's daughter who was Absalom's sister. And, uh, of course, he fled. And David brought, if you remember, if you remember from 1st, 2nd Samuel, David brought Absalom back to the city, but supposedly, okay, it's forgiven, I'll bring you back. But then he never saw him. He never reached out to him. 
Do, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? He never, it's like I brought him back, but I'm keeping him at a distance. I think sometimes we are like, we think we're like Absalom. God's brought us back in. Oh, he's forgiven me, but he's keeping me at a distance. When you look at a verse like this, return to me and I'll return to you. That's an awesome promise. Okay? That's an awesome promise of the relationship that you have with him. Now, he calls them not to be like their fathers who did not respond to the prophets. So here's what he's saying. Don't be like your fathers who didn't listen. Don't be like them. Okay? Don't be like them. So the Lord asks, where are their fathers now? And do the prophets live forever? So look at what it says here. I want you to notice with me Okay, but they did not pay, hear, verse 4, they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? So he's talking to these folks here. He's telling them, don't be like your fathers. So he says, where are your fathers? Are they here? Where are the prophets who talk to them? What God is saying to them is, they're dead. Life's short. They don't live forever. Neither will you. You won't live forever. And so, just like your fathers, they die, you're going to die. But the question is, who are you going to serve? Don't be like them. Don't be like them. But what? Be following me. Do you know what I'm saying? Be following me. You know, it's interesting. I'll just tell you an intimate thing. I wrote, I, I, for years, I've said to myself when I've prayed, Lord, help me not to walk in the sins of my fathers. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, okay, every, I don't know if you realize this, but pay attention sometimes to life, what's going on around you. Have you noticed that every family has a particular set of sins associated with that family? Did you know what I mean by that? Every family has a particular set of sins that are associated with that family. Sometimes you don't see it in your own family, but you see it in other families. You say, oh yeah, well, the, the, the son's just like the dad, and he's just like the grandpa, why? Because typically when we say that, it's not a nice thing to say. It's typically, well, they're acting this way, okay? So when I wrote that years ago and I say, Lord, let me not walk in the sins of my fathers, my dad was addicted to drink. So the tendency to addiction is real in my family. So I would say to the Lord, Lord, Help me not to walk in the sins of my fathers. Do you understand what I'm saying? Help me not to do that. Now, by the way, I don't like drinks, so it's not that's not the issue with me. But the issue of addiction might be cheeseburgers. You know, you laugh at that, but that's an addiction, right? You know what I'm saying? Or something else. So help me not. And, and I think that's what the Lord is trying to say here. He says, where are your fathers now? They're dead. Life's short. Don't walk. Don't be like them. Okay? Return to me. 
All right? Don't return to me. Now, so notice here, verse 6, but my words and my statues which I've commanded my servants and my prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so has he dealt with us. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. The words of the Lord overtook the fathers in judgment and they repented. So he's reminding them, okay, yeah, don't be like them, but remember, where are they now? They're not here anymore, but remember, when they were here, my words overtook them. My judgment overtook them. And they what? Repented. Because isn't that the natural response that we see sometimes in? Is that when God disciplines them, they what? Return and, and, and respond in repentance. So that brings us then to the visions. Okay, so we're going to spend the rest of the time today, we're going to look at four visions. We're going to look at another four visions next week. Okay, so let's talk about these visions. First of all, the first night vision. We're going to see it in verses 7 through 17. All right, so here's what he says. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. Okay, let me stop for a moment. I do not want you to equate what he's going to say here with Revelation. In Revelation, at the beginning, he sees a vision of a man on the red horse, and it's war. This is not the same vision. This is not the same guy. You're going to see why here in a moment, okay? So let me finish. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel talked with me and said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. They answered the angel of the Lord who were, was standing among the myrtle trees and said, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the Lord, the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem on the, and on the cities of Judah, and against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the Lord who talked with me, so the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For a while I was angry, but a little they further, furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord again will comfort Zion and again choose 
Jerusalem. All right, it's interesting vision, right? Okay, so what are we looking at here? So let's take a look, the first night vision. So three months after the call to return, the prophet receives a night vision. So he's, this is one of the dreams in the middle of the night. Now again, remember, he's got eight of these in one night, okay? The prophet sees a man on a red horse among, myrtle, among the myrtle trees, and behind him were horses. It doesn't say exactly how many horses. It t- tells you what the colors of these horses were, okay? The prophet questions who they are, and the angel tells them that he will show him. So in this vision, he sees this guy on a horse, sees these other horses, and so he's asking, who is this? And so there's an angel. So you know it's a heavenly thing, a, hev- a heavenly angel there. It says, I'll show you who they are, okay? So the man on the horse is identified as the angel of the Lord. So the text is telling you that the man on the horse is the angel of the Lord who was sent, who has sent out others to patrol the earth. All right, so let's stop for a moment. I want to clarify this. There are angels in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, right, okay. There is one particular angel that is mentioned several times throughout the Old Testament, and he is known as the angel of the Lord. The interesting thing about the angel of the Lord is that he seems very different from the other angels. In fact, whenever somebody sees, a human being sees the angel of the Lord, for instance, do you remember Samson's parents when they saw the angel of the Lord? They cried out, saying, I've seen God, and were fearful that they were going to die. What we can tell is, is that the angel of the Lord is God. Now, it's interesting, who? But we understand God is being the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is why we say that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate person of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Pre-incarnate. Now, what do we mean by incarnate? Anybody know what we mean by incarnate? We celebrate it every year. We celebrate the incarnation every year. What is it? The birth of Christ before he became fully God and fully human when he took on a human form. So this is before that. So the angel of the Lord here is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Okay? So... The man on the horse is identified as the angel of the Lord, God, the second person of the Trinity. All right. He then intercedes before the Lord on behalf of the people of Jerusalem and Judah. Now, this is where I thought it was beautiful. Okay, so the angel of the Lord is crying out to the Lord on behalf of who? Jerusalem, and Judah. And he's asking, how long are you going to let this happen, Lord? How long are you going to let them suffer and endure this? It's been 70 years. Okay? So the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, is interceding for who, folks? Judah and Jerusalem. Now, stop for a moment. Who does that sound like? Jesus, right? How do we know that? New Testament, 
1 John chapter 2, my little children, I run unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the what? The propitiation for our sins. So here we have immediately, and notice something, if you were back then, would this make sense to you? No, you're like, well, this must be just an angel. But for us, since the cross, we understand now, right? Because we have the other New Testament teacher teachings that tell us about him being an advocate. Here is the angel of the Lord advocating for who? Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so the Lord responds with comforting words to the angel of the Lord. So the Lord responds with comforting words. So the angel of the Lord tells Zechariah that the Lord is jealous for his people. Jealous for his people. What do you think that means? I'm jealous for you. What's that? He doesn't want them serving other gods, but he's only interested in who here? Them. Do you understand? It's not just that he's a jealous God, doesn't want them serving others, but he's jealous for them. He's focused on them. Okay? Let's go on. So the Lord is also very angry with the nations and promises blessings to Jerusalem. He says to them, yeah, I used these nations, but they went farther than I would have gone. I wanted them to go in punishing you. Wow, interesting. I'll deal with them. But I'm going to bless Jerusalem and Judah, and they'll be overflowing again. They'll be overflowing again. Okay, now, let's look at the second vision, okay? The second vision is of horns and craftsmen, okay? Interesting, okay? Here it is. Look, read with me, verses 18 through 21. And I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who have lifted up the horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. All right, this is kind of an unusual, weird vision, right? What's he talking about here? Well, again, I want you to understand, I want you to think about what we have, what we know, here we are since the cross, and we can understand a little bit. So let's go on. Here's what we see. Second vision. Zechariah saw a vision of four horns and asked the angel what they are. Okay? What are, these, what are these horns? The angel identified them as the four horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So these four horns are nations that scattered Judah, Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and what? Jerusalem. So these are four nations that have scattered them across the world. All right? So the Lord showed the prophet four craftsmen. Now, everybody understand what a craftsman is. In their day, it would be somebody who molds 
iron, like a, an iron worker or something like that. Four craftsmen. And the prophet inquired about them. Well, who are these? What are these about? Okay. These craftsmen have come to cast down the horns that scattered Jerusalem, that scattered Judah. So what he sees in this vision is the horns and craftsmen represent nations who oppress Judah and each other. That's what the vision's about. You say, now, did that happen? Yes, I want you to think about it. So can anybody tell me the nations that have scattered, oppressed and scattered Judah? Who are they in Jerusalem, in Israel? Think about who the nations are, the world powers that existed, that oppressed and scattered Jerusalem and Judah. Anybody? Babylon is one. He would be the second one. Medes and Persians, the third one. Okay? Who's the first one? Took the northern kingdom, took them away into exile. Who was that? The Assyrians, right? Now, who would the fourth kingdom be? Rome? Yes. Rome is very much. Why? Because they're the ones who would ultimately destroy Jerusalem. And in AD 135, that was in AD 70, 135, fed up with the Jews and their rebellions, would take the Jews and scatter them literally through, literally through the whole known world. Four kingdoms. Now, who are the four craftsmen? Four craftsmen represent the nations who would come and destroy those horns. So who destroyed the Assyrians? Babylon, but they were a horn. Who destroyed Babylon? Medo-Persians. Now, who destroyed the Medo-Persians? Greece. Who destroyed Greece? Rome. Did you understand what I'm saying? So, and who ultimately is going to destroy Rome? The revived Roman Empire. Who's going to do that? What? Well, not just, not Israel, because, but the one who returns. Yes, Jesus, Okay. Jesus, all right? So there you see this vision. It's kind of, a weird, kind of an unusual vision, right? Well, we understand it. Why? Because we know the other scriptures, right? Okay. Now, let's talk about the third, the third night vision. <clears throat> this one's interesting. Look with me now at chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And then I said, where are you going? And he said... To me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its, is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited as, a villa, as villages without walls, because the multitude of the people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. 
For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. All right, so this is the third vision. Again, another unusual vision, but there's some pictures there. Maybe they should be piquing your interest of things you already know, okay? So let's talk about it, okay? Here we go. Zachariah sees a vision of a man with a measuring line, and he asks about him. He is told that the man is to measure Jerusalem. So he's a surveyor, okay? He's a surveyor. He's supposed to survey Jerusalem. Now another angel comes and tells the prophet that the Jerusalem will be a city without walls. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Why would a city have walls? Safety from what? Enemies. Yeah, enemies, marauders, raiders, and so forth. Yeah. Like, does everybody here have a house without locks? Do you, do you have a house without locks? There are locks on your doors, right? Now, I remember when we first came here to Kerbinsville for about 10 years or so, we never locked our house. We do now. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We do now. Why? It's a safety measure, right? To protect ourselves, right? Okay. You have other means of protecting yourself too, okay? Now, here we have Jerusalem. In their day, would the city have to have walls? But he's seeing a vision where he's being told by the angel the city's not going to have any walls. That's kind of odd, isn't it? The city's not going to have any walls. Why? Because the Lord will protect the city and fill it with his glory. Now, does that pique anybody's thoughts? When is that going to take place? What's that? In the New Jerusalem, right. Because who will dwell in the, and there's no wall, but who will dwell in the midst? God will dwell, right? God himself will dwell in the midst of his people. Those remaining in exile in Babylon are to return to Zion or Jerusalem. Zion is another word for Jerusalem, Mount Zion, okay, which is where the temple is, or should be, all right? The Lord will send one who will judge the nations that plunder Judah. And who's the one he's going to send to judge the nations? Jesus, right? Okay. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord, and they will be his people. Now, who's that? Yeah, Bruce says us, Gentiles, right? Yeah, so um, here it is. He's saying in the future, many nations will join themselves to who? The Lord, and they will be his people. Isn't that awesome? Okay. It's talking about salvation for the Gentiles. And the Lord will dwell with his people as he inherited Judah and Jerusalem. So the Lord's going to be with his people, all right? The Lord's going to be with his people. Now let's get to the fourth vision. This is my favorite vision, okay? I've quoted it before to you, all right? Let's look at the fourth vision, chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, there we go, the angel of the Lord again. All right? 
Joshua the high priest, remember we've already talked about Joshua, he's the high priest, we've talked about him with Haggai, right? Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Isn't that what Satan does? Accuser of the brethren, okay? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And the angel who said to those who were standing before him, that's the angel of the Lord, remove the filthy garments. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Here now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign, because I will bring my servant the branch. And behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. And in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Wow, what an interesting vision. Now, I'm going to show you why it's beautiful, okay? Here it is. Let's look here. This is where we're going to end up. Prophet sees a vision of Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. All right, so the angel of the Lord, the Lord, God, okay? Satan is standing at his right hand accusing Joshua. Now, we understand that, right? He accuses us. We know what that's like, right? Okay? The Lord rebukes Satan, proclaiming that Joshua is a brand plucked from the fire. Now, what do you think that means? He's a brand plucked from the fire. A brand would be not like a branding iron, but a brand would be like a piece of wood plucked from the fire. We're going to save that piece of wood from the fire. Anybody got an idea what we're talking about here? You guys, what if I told you you're a brand plucked from the fire? Yeah, this one's saved. Saved from what? I mean, it's pretty obvious what he's talking about here. Fire, right? And what does fire typically represent in the Old Testament? Judgment, right? Okay, this is one who's been plucked from judgment. And literally hell is eternal what? Fire, right? Okay. So he's saying, is this not a brand? This is not somebody who was saved. Okay. It's a beautiful picture here, isn't it? Okay. Let's go on now. The angel calls, to, calls for Joshua's dirty garments to be replaced with pure vestments. 
Why, why is his garments dirty? Sin. And how, we know that because he says, I have removed from you your what? Iniquity. Now, what is iniquity? It's another word for sin, right? All right, so here we see a picture of basically having his unrighteousness removed and giving new righteousness, right? Beautiful picture. That's what happens with you and I, okay? He proclaims that he has taken Joshua's iniquity from him. His sin is taken from him. Folks, is that true for you and I? Yeah, better believe it. How's that possible? Through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. He tells Joshua that if he walks in his ways, he will be given responsibility and standing. Okay? You walk in my ways, I'll give you responsibility. That means over certain things he describes there within the courts and so forth. And then the Lord proclaims that he will bring his branch. Now the branch there, Isaiah uses the same word to refer to the Messiah. He will bring his branch, the Messiah, and he will cleanse the land. And when's that going to take place? We already know that. When Jesus comes back in the second coming, right? Cleanse the land of iniquity. And the land will be blessed as each one will sit under his own vine and fig tree. Wow. It's going to be a time of blessing. That's going to happen when, folks? The millennial kingdom, right? Yeah. You don't like grape juice? Get used to it. Okay? You're not into fig newtons? You'll get over it. Okay? Yeah, so this is the vision, all right? The fourth vision. Next week, we're going to look at visions five through eight, okay? Interesting visions, but what helps us to understand? Jesus helps us to understand, right? Because when you look at these visions, when you see Jesus there, it makes sense. 